Chapter 18 of Meteorology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Krantz. Meteorology by J. G. McPherson. Chapter 18 An Autumn Afterglow. A brilliant afterglow is welcomed for its surpassing beauty and a precursor of fine fixed weather. A glorious sunset has always had a charm for the lover of nature's beauties. The zenith spreads its canopy of sapphire, and not a breath creeps through the rosy air. A magnificent array of clouds of numberless shapes comes smartly into view. Some far off are voyaging their sun-bright paths in silvery folds. Others float in golden groups. Some masses are embroidered with burning crimson, Others are like islands, all lovely in an emerald sea. Over the glowing sky are splendid colorings. The flood of rosy light looks as if a great conflagration were below the horizon. I remember witnessing an especially brilliant sunset last autumn on the high road between Kirimur and Blairgowrie. The setting sun shone upon the back of certain long trailing clouds, which were much nearer me than a range behind. The fringes of the front range were brilliantly golden, while the face of those behind was sparklingly bright. Then the sun disappeared over the western hills, and his place was full of spokes of living light. Looking eastward, I observed on the horizon the base of the northern line of a beautiful rainbow, the shepherd's delight for fine weather. Soon in the west the light faded, but there came out of the east a lovely flush and the general sky was presently flamboyant with afterglow. The front set of clouds was darker except on the edges, the red being on the clouds behind, and the horizon in the east was particularly rich with dark red hues. Gradually the eastern glow rose and reddened all the clouds, but the front clouds were still gray. The effect was very fine in contrast. The fleecy clouds overhead became transparently light red as they stretched over to reach the silver-streaked west. The new moon was just appearing upright against a slightly less bright opening in the sky, betokening the firm hardness of autumn. Soon the coloring melted away, and the peaceful rain of the later twilight possessed the land. Now why that brilliancy of the east when the west was colorless? Most of all, you note the immense variety and wealth of reds. These are due to dust in the atmosphere. We are the more convinced of this by the very remarkable and beautiful sunsets which occurred after the tremendous eruption at Krakatoa in the Straits of Sunda, thirty years ago. There was then ejected an enormous quantity of fine dust, which spread over the whole world's atmosphere. So long as that vast amount of dust remained in the air did the sunsets and afterglows display an exceptional wealth of coloring. All observers were struck with the vividly brilliant red colors in all shades and tints. The minute particles of dust in the atmosphere arrest the sun's rays and scatter them in all directions. They are so small, however, that they cannot reflect and scatter all. Their power is limited to the scattering of the rays at the blue end of the spectrum, while the red rays pass on unarrested. The display of the colors of the blue end are found in numberless shades, 
from the full deep blue in the zenith to the greenish blue near the horizon if there were no fine dust particles in the upper strata the sunset effect would be whiter if there were no large dust particles there would be no coloring at all if there were no dust particles in the air at all the light would simply pass through into space without revealing itself and the moment the sun disappeared there would be total darkness the very existence of our twilight depends on the dust in the air and its length depends on the amount and extension upwards of the dust particles but how have the particles been increased in size in the east because as the sun was sinking but before its rays failed to illumine the heavens the temperature of the air began to fall this cooling made the dust particles seize the water vapor to form haze particles of a larger size the particles in the east first lose the sun's heat and first become cool and the rays of light are then best sifted producing a more distinct and darker red as the sun dipped lower the particles overhead became a turn larger and thereby better reflected the red rays accordingly the roseate bands in the east spread over to the zenith and passed over to the west producing in a few minutes a universal transformation glow to produce the full effect often witnessed there must be besides the ordinary dust particles small crystals floating in the air which increase the reflection from their surfaces and enhance the glow effects in autumn after sunset the water-covered dust particles become frozen and the red light streams with rare brilliancy causing all reddish and colored objects to glow with a rare brightness then the air glows with a strange light as of the northern dawn from all this it is clear that though the coloring of sunset is produced by the direct rays of the sun the afterglow is produced by reflection or rather radiation from the illuminated particles near the horizon the effect in autumn is a stream of red light of varied tones and rare brilliancy in all quarters unseen during the warmer summer we have to witness the sunsets at balachulish to be assured that waller Patton really imitated nature in the characteristic bronze tints of his richly painted landscapes end of chapter eighteen an autumn afterglow recording by pamela krantz